This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Next Question. I'm... News Force Catherine Couric is standing by at the Civic Center station right now. Actually... Catherine? I'm Katie Couric. Well, John, about every 10 minutes, a Metro Rail train is arriving here at the station, dropping off concert goers... Yep, that's me. In 1980-something, reporting for the local CBS affiliate, WTVJ, in Miami. I gotta tell you, Miami was such a great news town for a young reporter. It had immigration, extreme weather like hurricanes, and crime galore. It was action central. North Miami Beach police say crimes like purse snatchings are up at the 163rd Street Mall, partly because many shoppers are elderly and easy targets. And with Christmas fast approaching, the problem will get worse. Shoppers are scared. And it was the perfect place to find my footing as a news reporter. The experience was invaluable, but that was nearly 40 years ago. Unfortunately, today, local news, particularly print, just isn't what it used to be. In fact, it's an industry in crisis. Since the pandemic, another 85 papers have gone out of business. And overall, it's been, you know, since 2004, it's been over 2,000 papers in the country, mostly weeklies, but weeklies are important, you know, and some dailies too. So it's a really heartbreaking story. Margaret Sullivan is a longtime journalist. She is now the media columnist for the Washington Post And back in 2020, she wrote an excellent book called Ghosting the News, Local Journalism and the Crisis of American Democracy. If you're paying attention, the book will scare the pants off of you because the dire state of local news isn't just bad for budding journalists, it's bad for everyone. It matters so much because we don't trust anymore as a a nation. We don't trust in the press. 
but we do still have a great deal of trust in local news. So it's this weird paradox of, okay, well, this is the trusted, this is the trusted media, but it's withering and it's going away. Because local news was such an integral part of my life and career, I wanted to talk to Margaret about the state of it. Margaret also got her start in local news working for one of her hometown papers, the Buffalo Evening News, back in the 80s. I came there straight out of school. And, you know, I had internship offers at the two papers in Buffalo, which is my hometown. And I remember saying to my dad, "Um, should I go to work for the Buffalo Evening News or the Buffalo Courier Express? And he said, uh, I think he was a lawyer, you know, he's a pretty savvy guy. And he said, uh, I think the evening news is the dominant paper. And turns out father knows best because two years, I did go to work there. They hired me at the end of my internship. And two years later, the Courier Express was out of business. So, smart, smart yeah, move. smart dad. So I stayed at the news for a long time and I um, did every job. And eventually I became the first woman editor of the paper, the top editor. And it was an incredible honor. Yeah, thank you. It was, um, you know, really, even though I've now been, you know, I've worked for the New York Times and the Washington Post, and I have more of a national scope now, I would still say that being the editor of my hometown paper and the first woman is really the privilege of my life. I mean, my professional life, I will call my children the, <laughs> the privilege of my Good other save. Part of my life. But, Good um, save. but it, you know, I mean, it was a big newsroom. There were, there were 200 people in it. We covered an eight county area. We really did the job for people, um, in all of Western New York. And, and, and it was an exciting place to be. I was a, a politics reporter there, a government reporter, education reporter, and it was, you know, a tremendous experience. And then it's been, you know, it's been extremely difficult and painful to watch the withering of local news across the country, including at the Buffalo News. Although I have to say, I just spent a big chunk of the summer in the Buffalo area at a cottage on Lake Erie, and I get the print edition of the paper every day. And every day I was like, wow, this is still extremely informative and important and well done. So, um, you know, it's kind of a split story. The ghosting the news thing is about places that really don't even have that anymore. And they've turned into so-called news deserts. Why do you think people do trust local news more than national news? I think I know the answer to it, but I'd like to hear your explanation. Yeah, it's a varied, you know, it's, it's got a few different aspects to it. But one of them is that, you know, these are people who live in your community. You could run into a reporter who um, maybe his or her child is in school with your child. You might know them from something that's personal and obituary of a relative. I mean, it's all very dug in in the community. And so therefore, when they tell you this is what's happening, you sort of have a personal connection to it. Or even if it's not a, a completely personal connection, you've got that sense of place. And I think that that goes a long way where the national media seems like, oh, you know, I think a lot of people feel like these are elites that are, they all live in New York and Washington and, and, you know, California, they don't have anything to do with me and my life. Well, it's kind of true. It is kind of true. I mean, there's a very strong presence um, in national news in those, 
in those places. And so, and, you know, I think we saw that very, very clearly in 2016 when the national press was so out of touch with the rest of the country and was like completely surprised that Trump was elected. The tentacles of local news really reach out into the community in perhaps some unexpected ways. Yeah. So people not only learn about things, but it has uh, some some unintended positive consequences, doesn't it? Yes. And maybe they're intended, actually. Right. Well, they, I mean, I think it is intended. It has a way, just as you say, of sort of knitting the community together. And so that could be a concert review. It could be a restaurant review. It could be a feature story on an interesting person. It doesn't all have to be heavy-duty watchdog journalism, although that's extremely important. But it's, it's a lot of different things. And honestly, I have to say that one of the real disappointments um, that's happened at my old paper in Buffalo is that I kind of founded um, this section called Life and Arts. And it was the place where the, you know, the reviews were and the feature stories and the culture coverage. And that section doesn't appear in the daily paper anymore. And I really miss it. You know, there's still sport, of course, there's still sports coverage, right? But, um, and there's still, you know, political coverage and all of that local coverage, but that piece of it is diminished and that, that hurts. And I think that's one of the ways that you're talking about that we, you know, sort of intended or unintended. It's like, oh, did you see this thing? Did you, are you going to this show? You know, it's, it's more casual, it's more informal, and it's more the sort of the fabric of life. There's that. Then there are other things that go along with local news, participation in elections, and also the investigative reporting you were talking about or the political coverage that you did as a cub reporter. That's right. Um, that actually keeps local officials in check. I mean, it there's does. a real reason for that. Talk about those two things and the role sure. local news plays in both of those. So, you know, just having some a reporter at a meeting, whether it's the city council or the, you know, town board or a school board, whatever it is, just having that reporter there, you know, I think it keeps public officials on their toes. It's sort of a way of bearing witness. Oh, somebody's watching. You know, um, I remember talking to the publisher of the Youngstown Vindicator, which very sadly went out of business two summers ago. And he said that, you know, it, it just really resonated with me. He said when the paper was in its heyday, they were able to send a reporter or a stringer, meaning a freelance reporter, to every meeting in a three-county area. And he said they knew, meaning the public officials, they knew that and they behaved. And, you know, when that goes away, when you don't have that sort of person there who's, a, who's watching then I think people, you know, there's a human nature. It's like maybe things could be snuck through in some way. Well, there's no watchdog, right? There's no I mean, watchdog. I mean, it's as simple as that. There's nobody there to watch. And while there are, you know, I don't think this is a black and white situation because even in places where the local paper may have gone away or, you know, maybe it's a weekly that's closed, you know, sometimes there's a radio station or a startup digital um, news organization that's still doing the job. It's not all about newspapers. And I think we need to always remember that. But having said that, newspapers are a huge and really, really important piece of the puzzle. What was the first sign when you were at the Buffalo News that mm -hmm. uh, it was a declining, not an expanding industry? 
Right. Well, you know, I was very focused when I first came in as editor, and that was in uh, 2000, that I wanted to increase the staff. So we had had a 200-member newsroom staff for a long time, and I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to add people, add reporters, and so on. And I made a little bit of progress with the bean counters, and (laughs) then uh, things started to change. Circulation, you know, started to go down. Um, the rise of the internet really started to, you know, Craigslist came along and really knocked the, um, you know, the legs out from under classified advertising, which was such a moneymaker. And, you know, I started to come under pressure to reduce the staff instead of to grow the staff. And that was, you know, that was really the sign that, you know, things were not going well. And there, and then it just, you know, then it got to be 2008 and we were in this great recession. Um, the whole country was hurting. And then print advertising, which was the lifeblood of my paper and a lot of papers, really, really started to go away. And then we had to make even more dire cuts, you know, started to do buyouts. We never did layoffs when I was there, which I was very proud of because I had hired all these people and I felt like they were family members. But you know, we, we didn't do layups, but we did do voluntary buyouts and we lost a lot of staff members that way. So all this institutional memory stuff, people knew about the community and what had happened. It was all walking out the door and it was really tough to see. Well, let's talk about some of the, the other factors that have led to the disintegration, not only of local newspapers, but also what about radio and television? That's interesting. I mean, TV has managed to um, hold on to its revenue and its business model much better, local TV, much better than local newspapers. Um, And that, you know, some of that has to do with the kind of advertising it has, and some of it has to do with transmission fees and sort of the nitty gritty of of how TV gets its money um, that isn't as susceptible as newspapers to this decline. Um, And in some cases, I mean, I've been really impressed when I've been at investigative and reporters, editors, conferences around the country, that there are a ton of local TV people there who are really interested in investigative reporting. And maybe it's more of a day turn where they do a piece that has an investigative aspect to it or an enterprise aspect to it. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's that's part of how we're going to fill the gap. And then radio, you know, it's, you know, radio is, is tough to say. Public radio, I think, is a part of the puzzle. And um, it's, it's, it has some pretty good ambitions for, for trying to fill that gap. We'll be right back. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. What about participation in elections? Uh Talk about how that is so closely aligned with the vibrant local news ecosystem. Right. Well, there's, you know, there's a strong connection between a vibrant local news situation in a community and good political participation. And part of it is, do you vote? Are you active in your community in some way? Um, do you ever cross party lines when you vote? Or are you, you know, when local news goes away, people tend to go more into their sort of echo chambers, more into their tribes. And, you know, we've become very, very tribal. We're either this or that. And so people don't cross the party lines as much as they did because they're getting their information in many cases through, you know, social media and through a very sort of self, um, you know, self-sustaining idea, you know, you hear the same ideas over and over from people who are telling you what you want to hear, and you're not sharing this common basis of reality. So definitely political engagement, political participation, and that ability to sort of evaluate a candidate on his or her qualities rather than simply his or her party that really changes when local news goes away. This vacuum that's created by the dearth of local news is one of the, what you're talking about. Facebook getting affirmation, not information, algorithms serving you up very similar, you know, pieces of information. Um, With that vacuum, I mean, don't you think that's essentially led to a lot of the distrust that you were describing at the beginning of our conversation? Yes, it's no, there's no question that it's part of the sort of whole disinformation, misinformation, um, you know, difficulty, I would say even tragedy that we're experiencing that, you know, people are getting their news from not very credible sources. They, you know, it's sort of like what it, it boils down to what your neighbors tell you and your neighbors may know what they're talking about or may not, but what they aren't doing is filing freedom of information requests, vetting the information. Um, you know, when a newspaper or a public radio station or whatever it may be puts a story out there, it had better be right. And if it's not right, they have to correct it and they have to, you know, own up to the fact that it's not right or they're going to really get hammered. 
Um, that doesn't happen on social media. If it's wrong, maybe you delete it. Maybe you let it just spin out there forever. I mean, again, during the 2016 election, the the amount of, you know, some people call want to call it fake news. I think that term has been kind of stolen in a way. Well, I um, think it's a terrible term. I try to avoid it at all too. costs I because too. I think it began to, it started to be used by a president who considered anything critical of him to be exactly. fake. Exactly. And I don't use it for that reason too, but let's call it false news. So, you know, for example, a story that, uh, you know, the Pope had endorsed Donald Trump. I mean, that story was very, very widely circulated. It was viral. And um, once something is out, it's very, very hard to pull it back. It just doesn't work that way. What do they say? A lie makes it around the world while the truth hasn't even tied its shoelaces. Exactly. Yeah. Something like that. Exactly. Right. I mean, it's and, you know, a correction does corrections don't even happen. In fact, some of that false news is done on purpose. I mean, a lot of it is. So no one has any interest in correcting it or making it right. Let's um, talk about just sort of uh, other reasons for the decline real quickly before we get to solutions. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked about the ad model, the ad revenue kind of cratering uh, with the advent of digital, et cetera, et cetera, and Craigslist. Um, but also, what about ownership? I mean, whether it's Sinclair, which is a whole could be a whole documentary, or these private equity firms, you know, going for these newspapers and demanding profits. Right. Um, it seems the public service side of what a newspaper is all about has been forgotten in many of these markets. Right. I mean, there was a time when newspapers were owned by local families, and that what you know, didn't mean that the local families were always great owners, but they did have a stake in the community. Now, you know, most newspapers are owned by big chains and some of the big chains are actually essentially hedge funds or private equity firms. And they have very little interest, if any, in doing good journalism or even doing valid journalism. They are interested in sort of uh, harvesting the last profits that can be made from these companies, these newspaper companies, which by the way, are still making money. You know, um, it's not as if they're losing money. So there's profit to be made. They're gonna cut the staff, um, take advantage of the fact that there's still trust in these places and that people are still subscribing and advertising. And, you know, sort of, I mean, people call them vulture capitalists because they're sort of circling these properties like vultures and taking advantage of the last, you know, the last bits of value that are there. And a lot of journalists are saying, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Right. There have been big protests and there have been. But I mean, you know, your ownership is your ownership. And now, most recently, the Chicago Tribune, the Baltimore Sun, the Orlando Sentinel, the Hartford Current were all bought by essentially by Alden Global, which is essentially a hedge fund. And it's really sad because these are storied newspapers that have done great work, won Pulitzer Prizes, employed, you know, fabulous journalists. And, you know, they're still doing the job today, but, you know, with fewer people and we don't know what's coming, but we have a pretty good idea what's coming because of what what's happened in other markets when Alden has swooped in. So I think it would be good for people to just check into who owns their TV station that they're listening to. And is there an alternative? And, you know, is that 
or an ulterior motive, right? Exactly. <laughs> you use a stat from, from Pew, from the Pew Research Center that shows 71% of people polled actually think local news is doing well. Now, this was in 2019, but mm -hmm. they're not only in the dark in terms of the ownership, but they don't even know that local news is in, is trouble. in trouble. Right, exactly. Well, that why, are was they really so, why are they so unaware, you think? I mean, I think it's because a local newspapers for such a long time were money-making machines. And I think people got used to that idea that, oh, well, you know, the paper's fine. It's making money. It's, oh, they're making money hand over fist. And they just sort of haven't adjusted to the new reality. And that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to write my book, Ghosting the News, was to sort of sound the alarm. Um, you know, obviously it's not everybody read it or knows about it, but I, I hope it made a little bit of difference in raising people's consciousness. Well, what is what are the solutions, Margaret? Um, I know that 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 one of the things you're going to be talking about in your book and you've been thinking about, because let's face it, Ghosting the News was kind of a Debbie Downer, Margaret. Yes. <laughs> and, and there, um, I guess the question is, A, are there solutions? And B, what do you think are the most um, potentially sound ones? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, there's not one answer, um, but there's different pieces that have to happen. One of them is, I think that education and the schools would really, um, could really benefit us as a country if they would start to teach a little bit of news literacy, media literacy in the classroom. So teaching kids, you know, I think as young as 10 or 11 or 12 year old kids, you know, how to tell a false story from a true one and how to read with some sort of, you know, critical reasoning um, and, you know, how to know what you're taking in is good or bad and, you know, kind of to compare and contrast. I think really basic information about that. It wouldn't have to be a full year course. It could be part of a social studies or something like that or civics. So I think that's a piece of it. And I think that there is now an effort, you know, there's a bipartisan effort in Congress to try to get some indirect help, not a handout, but some tax credits. The Local Journalism Sustainability Act? Yes, the Local Journalism Sustainability Act they Which, need a good editor when they when it comes to they, coming needs, up with that title. It needs a zippier name, let's say. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, it would give tax credits of various kinds to try to help local journalism stay viable. And I think it's it's pretty. I, I think it's pretty good. I've been really troubled about the idea of sort of government getting involved in this because I don't really want government officials messing with journalism, you know, journalism right. needs to be independent. But I think uh, we're at a point now where we need to look at things that maybe didn't seem like a good idea before and just to build some guardrails into it so that it can be done, you know, intelligently and safely. And independently. And independently. That's hugely important. There's also a report for America. Stephen Waldman is the founder. This seems like such a cool idea. Is it is it gaining traction and are a lot of people doing it? Tell us, yep. explain to our listeners what that's all about. Sure. So it's a little bit like the Peace Corps um, in that it takes young people. I guess the Peace Corps isn't all young people, but usually report for America. Um, it, it lets young people take a year and it funds them to go into a community that has already has some local news, but it puts them in an existing newsroom so that they can sort of 
help and, and, you know, broaden and sort of deepen their coverage. And yeah, it's grown a lot. Uh, it's only been around for a couple of years, but now there are, I think, I think there are, you know, at least a thousand, maybe more report for America. Um, I guess they call them fellows who are in local newsrooms and, you know, doing a really good job. You know, I think that's another piece of the puzzle. It's not going to solve the whole thing, obviously. Well, how worried are you about training the next generation of journalists if there are fewer and fewer places to work? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of national places, some are growing, but some are shrinking. Yeah. You know, I it's funny because I am somewhat worried about it, but I also know a lot of young journalists, um, some of them personally, one's my nephew, one's my my son's ex-girlfriend, you know, people that I, and then some are my own students who I've taught at different places. And I'm always very, very heartened by how good they are, smart, um, you know, dedicated to journalism and really wanting to do the job. And um, so they give me a lot of hope. And I think that we might be in pretty better shape there than you might expect. There's another one to watch named Carrie Monahan. I hear she's got... She's got a lot She's of talent. Got it, right? Yeah. What about this? I sent you an article about this startup called 6AM that's yeah. doing sort of hyper-local newsletters. I think newsletters are the new newspapers, honestly. Yeah, it seems it seemed pretty interesting. I mean, uh, I, it's one to watch for sure. I'm not sure how it'll play out. You know, there've been a lot of efforts, like there's something called Patch. Um, there's well, patch kind of didn't patch not do well, Margaret. Yeah, I, I thought that's what I mean. So sometimes these things kind of crop up and they look super promising and then they kind of fade away. So we'll have to see if this one takes off. Yeah, but I think at newsletters, that model is so interesting since we're so, you know, tethered to our phones. Exactly. You know, I miss the days where my dad was, uh, you know, at the kitchen table eating his Wheaties, reading the Washington Post and pointing out interesting articles or obituaries. Right. Um, you know, I miss those days. But I think the good news, and I'm on this Aspen Commission for Disinformation, as you know, or to tackle disinformation. And, you know, one thing that's been very clear to me with a very diverse group of people, the good old days weren't the good old days for everybody. That's and right. now with a new sort of landscape in journalism, it's become much more inclusive and the voices are much more diverse. So that's that's a real positive, even yeah. though the actual platforms are shrinking. You're right, though. The I voices mean, I, are expanding. I, I think that's important to keep in mind that a lot of times the coverage that we got in these places that we wanted, you know, revere now and say how great they were, it was covering, you know, it was covering the, the white and the more affluent and the more establishment parts of their communities. So it is great to have a more diverse um, ecosystem that's hugely important. Coming up, a new generation of journalists committed to bringing local news back. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. 
This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com. Local news may be in a dire state, but it's far from dead. Organizations like Report for America, which Margaret and I touched on, place talented emerging reporters into local newsrooms all across the country. For up to two years, these core members report for newspapers and digital outlets, radio and TV stations. Sometimes they're jumping into news deserts, towns or counties that no longer have anyone covering the state of the local government, economy, or social sphere. Other times, these intrepid reporters are going to larger news markets, but covering historically underserved issues and communities. This work has never been so necessary and important. So I wanted to end this episode by hearing from some of those who are reinvigorating the local news industry. My name is Cassidy Arena. I report with Iowa Public Radio, and I focus on Latino, Spanish-speaking, and immigrant communities in the state of Iowa. My name is Ons Cherry, and I'm reporting from Florida. I cover the Haitian-American community for the Haitian Times. My name is Charlie McGee. I am the sole reporter in Barstow, California, writing for the Victorville Daily Press. My name is Yilan Chung. I am originally from China. And right now, I'm a Report for America Corps member covering immigration for the Columbus Dispatch in Ohio. What I'm doing is sort of filling in a gap, which is, you know, basically this whole northern area of the high desert, you know, giving them a focused sort of reporter uh, for the first time in about four or five years. People kind of hear about the word news desert, and it's always referred to in this sense of geographic location. There's a hole there within the definition of news desert. It's not just based on geographic location. It's based on the populations and the communities in a place. So even though Iowa, say, you know, has this big city newspaper, are they really focusing on those undercovered communities, those Spanish-speaking communities, the African refugees? Are they really focusing on them too? My last story is about an asylum seeker. He just came to a new country in a different way from most people. I mean, coming from 
Brazil to the Mexican border by walking public transportation. His journey was horrible. When he came here, uh, there's a lot of hope for him that he's not he's not alone because the community is, is helping him. It goes back to to local news. Uh, if people are not really getting deep into Florida, uh, they're not really going to tell those stories. Right now, I'm trying to do a larger investigation into buildings that mainly house immigrants and refugees to see, you know, on a larger scale, how many people are forced to live in apartment complexes with lawsuits, code violations, and have to deal with, you know, racist landlords and managers. So I'm really excited to see that story. I do the watchdog reporting stuff. That's my just personally, I love that kind of, uh, you know, digging in the weeds and finding, you know, looking at numbers. But it's also been great just to give, you know, do profiles of like a local barber who's owned a barber shop for 20 years, right? And put pictures of him with his dad, right? When he was, you know, getting his barber's license with a big mullet in the 90s. And, you know, those kind of localized just personality feature stories you know, give people sort of reasons to be proud of their community or just people around them. Yeah, I just finished a story recently about um, two soccer clubs. One focused on African refugees and another focused on Latino children, um, making sure that these kids still have access to a competitive youth sport that will get them those opportunities later in life, such as college scholarships, things like that. So it was just an example of here's what journalism can do also is showing Iowa what these communities are doing really well and and where they really shine. You know, what I found here in Columbus is that we haven't had that much coverage of the immigrant communities. And I think that's true for minority communities in general. So when I talk to residents and advocates in the field, they're always really appreciative of the fact that we're covering their stories at all which really shows how there is a lack of coverage of these marginalized communities right now. Yeah, I think it's very important to tell people about what's going on in their community. You could, I don't want to say save a person's life, but you could make their life much better. For example, there's, there's a lot of resources that the community doesn't know about. Uh, I mentioned the asylum seekers before. There's a lot of resources for them that they're not going to know about if someone is not writing about it. The majority of what people say when they see that I'm here and doing this work and reporting on them and their people that they care about, most of the time, they're shocked that somebody is actually here. And I ask them, who did you tell your stories to before this? And they say, nobody. We, we didn't really talk to anybody about our stories uh, before you came. So it's an incredibly humbling experience to have that responsibility, but also you, when you have that reaction, you see how just how necessary that experience is. I mean, one of the most rewarding parts of the job, I, actually the most rewarding, is I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, emails from just people who live in the community, who live in Barstow or, or around the area in another part of the high desert, who are just, you know, like, thank you for, like, I'm so happy that we have a reporter who's focusing on us now. I'm so happy I learned about this. Local journalism really lets you have that rapport and building that that trust in that they can trust you with their stories, but also I can trust them that they will keep me accountable. I never see what I'm doing as a as a job because the asylum seeker I I wrote about I don't see him as a as someone I 
I interviewed, I see him as a, as a friend. So I don't really see, see it as a job. And I don't want to say local news is like a, it's like the first step for you to get into something higher. I don't want to see it like that because if we leave, then who's going to talk to that asylum seeker, you know? If we don't have reporters who are you know, living in these communities, meeting people, producing work that reflects the community itself, then inevitably people are going to get left behind. And, you know, I think a lot of people are very polarized in their views on the national news, and, and they really want a local voice that's just, you know, someone who they can trust, who they, you know, know is living in the same community as them, eating the same, you know, restaurants as them and going to the same city council meetings or looking at the same Facebook groups they're looking at, you know, like all that stuff. I think makes people more connected as a community, more informed, and really, I think, more you know, in control of their own lives. I mean, I think that's just as important a part of democracy is the ability to you know, contribute to your local government. Even though local newsrooms are struggling, we shouldn't just try to cater to what people want to read. We should also make sure to tell stories that are important, to make sure that local residents are aware of these larger, harder issues. And I think that's a responsibility of local reporters in Columbus and everywhere else. We're really here to give the power back to people. It's, again, it's gonna sound cliche to say that, you know, we're the fourth branch of democracy, but we really are. And you can see that when you're down at this local level, it's opened up the door for me to realize that journalism as a public service is really teaching people about the power that they have, but also, teaching people to utilize that power in the way to really make a difference. The value of local news, the value of getting to know people in the locality that you are covering, and the ability to sort of uh, speak to truth to power at, at local levels uh, from the perspective of people who otherwise can't is really important. I think it's a really important part of the American experiment and uh, we have to keep it alive. That was Charlie McGee, Cassidy Arena, Yilin Chung, and Anz Cherry from Report for America. Thanks, everybody. And also a big thank you to my guest, Margaret Sullivan. Her book is called Ghosting the News, Local Journalism and the Crisis of American Democracy. And by the way, she's working on her own memoir. So stay tuned for that. Next week on Next Question, it's book release week. Katie is a pack rat, and she has basically her own archive of sorts in her basements. I take you behind the making of my memoir and so much more. That's next Thursday on Next Question. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at katiecouric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.